I, I can't remember when I preached on Epiphany. I mean, any major, major, you know, it's hardly ever on a Sunday. So this affords the opportunity to talk about the Epiphany. What I'm going to do is uh, begin by reaffirming the affirmations because they don't end on Christmas. We, we carry them with us throughout the year. So remember that when I speak about the four affirmations that, we, that I talk about every Christmas, uh, we need to take them with us because they're part of the um, work of the processes of God in our lives. So remember that we're affirming the goodness of our humanity, that each of us can achieve the highest of our human potential, that we can be people of joy, and that Christian people are called to be peacemakers and people of peace, the shalom of God. I want to say some introductory things about Epiphany and then to preach on all of the readings. And I hope I don't lose you, but there's a great continuity in the readings today in terms of theme, uh, the theme of the manifestation of Christ to the world, but also God's history of salvation and how Christian people have taken the biblical text and uh, seen in it uh, the, the uh, signs, uh, I'll say, speak about in Isaiah, of how God is working and how we, in, our own, in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, we can begin to see that in a, in a new way over and over again. Epiphany is the celebration of the manifestation of Christ to the world. Christmas was a, is a festival about the presence of Christ to the church. A Greek word for presence is parousia. So the presence of Christ is something that we say we, we uh, are living in the midst of and waiting again, uh, always anew, for the parousia to come, the presence. But the epiphania is the manifestation and looking at the signs. And remember that you and I are called now to be the instruments of the manifestation of Christ. This feast says that the birth of the infant Jesus has universal significance for Christian people. You know, oftentimes we get into these conversations and people will say, yeah, but you know, the Hindus say that and Buddha, he's, you bet. I'm a Christian preacher, so that's what I'm talking about is Christianity, you know, not Buddhism and, and, and so forth. Um, we believe and, and have carried forward for many years the view that the truth can be found in all of the great faith traditions. But we have a, a, an understanding for us that Jesus is the unique focus of the divine presence. And that's what we celebrate on these great festivals. So let me say something to you. By the way, the, the, the Feast of the Epiphany, remember uh, the cycles, the two cycles of the church year. The, 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 the most recent one that developed is what we do first, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. And then we do the most ancient one, which is Lent, Easter, Pentecost. And that's how the church cycles go. Epiphany as a feast, as a celebration, uh, is as old as the second century, the hundreds. But it comes from the East. So in Eastern Christianity, Epiphany, uh, the gospel that's read, is the gospel of Jesus' baptism, which we read next week. Three gospels 
in Western Christianity are read in this time of year. We read first the visit of the Magi to the infant Jesus. Then we read the gospel about Jesus' baptism. And the third gospel that we read is the wedding scene at Cana. You know, Mary says, they're out of wine. (laughs) He says, woman, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) St. John Chrysostom, one of the great preachers in the history of Christianity, in a sermon on the wedding scene at Cana, said at that moment, our Lord released his mother from a tyrannous affection. <laughs> so we read, we, in the West, we take the Eastern celebration, which focuses on the baptism, the vocational moment, and we place in front of it the idea of the visit of the Magi. And so the readings for today have something to do with how that works in the biblical witness. And let me just say that we're going to see once again uh, a, bib- a, a reading from one of the prophets, Micah, come up again in Matthew's gospel. Only it's put in the words, as Reginald Fuller said, of the dramatis personae, which is very rare. But Micah is the one who we read on the third Sunday of Advent, and then when we did the Advent service of Lessons and Carols, we read the lesson again, and the lesson is being read again, uh, or embedded in Matthew's Gospel, a quotation from Micah. So here, I think, is what this is about, if you can follow me. Remember, these celebrations are theological feasts primarily. They're not uh, literal history. It's always amazing when I go, have been to certain uh, conversations and groups uh, with people who um, are not believers particularly at all, and they rather smugly and triumphantly say, Jesus really wasn't born on December 25th, and I no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we know. <laughs> but there's, some, you know, the calendar got created the way it got created. And there were some secular reasons for, the, for the, what it was done. That's like the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus being on New Year's Day uh, was done by more severe Christians in northern Europe to counteract the riotous behavior of people celebrating the New Year. Right? So maybe those people who wanted to create the feast, we wouldn't find them very good dinner company. They'd be pretty solemn. But uh, they at least wanted to do something. We read today from Isaiah, again in chapter 60, all about exile and return. So I've talked a lot about this in this past cycle of Advent and Christmas. It's about exile and return, and the people's yearning has something to do with closing the circle. And Isaiah today is speaking about the move from Babylon to Jerusalem. And remember uh, last week I said the issue is, particularly uh, on the Feast of the Holy Name, uh, in Isaiah it says, we're coming back to Jerusalem now. We're grateful for for, for liberation from exile. We're coming back. We have the opportunity to rebuild the city. We have the opportunity to rebuild the temple. 
And we pledge that we have learned from our mistakes, or at the very least want to learn from our mistakes, and so change our behavior and the way we think about how God relates to the world and how we become instruments of God's purposes as we live. So in this reading from Isaiah, it has to do with the return from exile, but it also has embedded in it the fact that in Jerusalem it will not be just the people of the covenant. It's going to be the Gentiles, too, who are going to come in as time goes on. And so this is one of the Isianic texts that says something to us about God's inclusive work. That God's saving embrace is now available to everybody. And they're coming in. Now, you know, you could read Isaiah just as it is if Christianity had never happened. Based upon the sacred literature of the people of the covenant. But Christian people, many of whom were people of the covenant, begin now to read this passage in a new way. And interpret it uh, differently because they, not necessarily completely differently, but they understand that this now has changed, because you know what? We believe the birth of Jesus is the liberation from exile. And the three magi are the Gentile equivalents of those who come like the Gentiles who are going to come into Jerusalem and they're going to meet with Jesus as the infant and pay him homage. And so through that process, we believe the circle has been closed. There are lots of people at the time of the birth of Jesus who believed that the re restoration and the return from exile, even though it was several hundred years before, had not been completed. And so part of the way they, we, they thought about this was, we believe now, the Christians, those who believed in the Messiahship of Jesus, that the circle had been closed. So the middle bits that I've been talking about, we're at the birth part, and then we're going to fast forward to, uh, you know, crucifixion, death, resurrection, ascension, and the middle bits are what we're going to need to focus on. What happened in between? Because those are the, where the tools we can use are present. So in the season of Epiphany, we celebrate Epiphany today, the baptism of Christ next Sunday, and then we're going to start a little green season where we talk about the nature, the ways and means, the cost of Christian discipleship, and what the teaching was of the Savior in the middle, and how we understand what that might mean. So the reading from Isaiah sets us up for uh, what Paul is going to say in Ephesians, or whoever wrote Ephesians. And here's what he says. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it had been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are in now because of belief in Christ. Reginald Fuller, who's one of my favorite biblical scholars, said, the letter to the Ephesians was written at a time when the apostles' work was complete 
and the unity of Jews and Gentiles in the church for which he had striven throughout his apostolic career was an accomplished fact. Matthew, too, was a beneficiary of this achievement, even if his view of the law is very different, and it is precisely because of Paul's success that this evangelist can use the story of the Magi to symbolize the universality of the gospel. What I'm heading for, as you can see, is these readings today are all moving us to a realization of God's inclusive work as we live and understand our own role uh, in the response to the divine initiative. So Epiphany is a season about the processes of God making manifest to us his purposes and reminding us all the time that we are part of this work. We are needed for this work. In Matthew's Gospel, we always read from Matthew on this Sunday, the story of the visit of the three wise men. Matthew, you know, was a former rabbi, so he doesn't say much in, in the Gospel. He makes no real reference to the fact that the Magi are Gentiles. He's not particularly interested in the fact, uh, in one sense, that they're Gentiles. But he has some things that he wants to accomplish. You know, sometimes I used to, when I first started, you know, was in seminary, and this stuff, it seemed baffling to me. And then I began to realize it's far more simple uh, if you read it and become a student of it than, than uh, you, you realize. I don't know if Roger ever remembers this. Was O.C. Edwards there when you were there? Yes. O.C. Edwards used to say, I say I've said this to you over again, it's not important as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. So here's what this gospel means. It is the primitive preaching of the church about Jesus' birth from Davidic descent. So the first thing that he wants to say is that Jesus is related to King David. Because that is important. The halcyon days of Israel. And how does that so? He's born in Bethlehem. Where was David born? David was born in Bethlehem. So I'm connecting this up. He also is using a tradition that both he and Luke have that Jesus' birth took place at the end of the reign of Herod the Great. And he advances in this gospel of folk memory that Herod's character was psychopathic and that he was uh, of fearful of usurpation of his throne. He was paranoid. You know, sometimes you're really not paranoid. People really are after you. So you always <laughs> have to sort that out. But uh, in this case, you know, he also advances the Hellenistic belief, the Greek belief that wisdom, the Magi, come from the East. That's still with us, isn't it? We sort of have that view. Ancient wisdom comes from the East. And finally, the star is a symbol of the Messiah. This is true in the book of Numbers, but it's also true, we discovered when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the star was used as a symbol of the Messiah. So what that means is that when the Gospels were written, 
when Matthew's gospel was written, he was fully aware of that. Qumran had uh, been destroyed by the writing of Matthew's gospel. When the temple was destroyed, they went out there and destroyed that, that location. So that's when all those scrolls went into the caves. And through reading that literature, we discovered that the star is a symbol for the Messiah. So St. Matthew is telling us that he wishes us to know that through a series of signs, the child Jesus is manifested as the epiphany or revelation of God in the world. So this is how he places it in front of us in this sense. Return from exile, the circle is closed. The Gentiles are coming in. We realize in Paul now in the pastoral sense that the reality is the Gentiles are in with the Jewish Christians and we're beginning to move forward and in Matthew's gospel the Magi represent the all the known world coming to Jesus to worship him so this is important Matthew was the, was the head of a Christian Jewish Christian synagogue that was now 80% Gentile So talk about uh, having to learn uh, to adapt on your feet, right? That's the thing. So this is what he's talking about. This week, the lesson from all this is uh, to remind ourselves that God needs us uh, for his work in the world, that we are essential to God's plan, that we are the beneficiaries of God's inclusive work, God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness and that we have a role to play to fulfill God's purposes with everything in big and small ways that we touch. Amen. Amen.